Welcome to the Everletic Bites Expert Chats Podcast, where we get professional insights from thought leaders in marketing and business communication so you can amplify your campaigns. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everlytic Bites podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Graham, and today I'm joined by someone who is no stranger to our show, Lee Crumble of Breadcrumbs Linguistics. Welcome back, Lee. I'm looking forward to our chat. Thanks so much, us too. We here at Everlytic are so excited. We've partnered with Breadcrumbs Linguistics once again to publish the fourth marketing report in a series presenting top tips for better email engagement across various industries. Our new report focuses on the education sector. It's titled The Language of Learning, How to Optimize Your Education Emails. You can download it for free from the Everlytic website. And in today's episode, Lee will give us the scoop on the findings. We'll be diving into the best practices you can use to enhance your engagement in your emails. So to kick things off, Lee, can you explain why email marketing is an important channel for communicating to parents and students in the education industry? And what can institutions achieve by using it? Yeah, so this was a fun one, Daniela. And I think when it comes to email marketing, it, it really is your quickest and easiest and certainly most cost-effective way as a brand, and in this case in the education industry, as schools, as tertiary institutions, as colleges, you're able to reach huge audiences. So you've got large groups of people that you can communicate to. Yet at the same time, you can still be tailored enough to personalize that content and to make it something that's really relevant and appropriate for the individual who's receiving the comm. And we're starting to see that brands are using more and more of these elements of hyper-personalization. And that catches people's attention. It helps engage your reader and certainly then drives whatever that call to action ends up being. It used to just be novel to have the, let's use the example of somebody's name. So in a subject line or in the body text saying, hi, Lee, that was, that was novel and exciting enough to really pull someone in. And now we're starting to see brands drawing on other elements. So for example, location where you're based in South Africa as an example. Or previous behaviors like reading other communications that you can then reference in the next com. So it's a way for these education and these training brands to build trust, to position themselves as what we call the voice of the expert. Uh, they, they need to be seen as the authority. And once we trust them, we will then attribute that expert status to them. We see them as the specialists. And um, that thought leadership then comes through and the engagement really does follow after that. And there were more than 110 million education and training themed emails sent through Everlytics platform in 2022. This really demonstrates what a competitive space education email marketing is. Can you describe the data set for our readers, like how many emails we analyzed and how we chose which emails to focus on? 
So we looked at a 2022 data set and what we do, we look at a full calendar year of emails sent through the Everlytic platform and there are millions and millions of them. So in total, we looked at 110,238,412 emails. <laughs> and that's a little bit of a behavioral linguistic technique, by the way, to use the exact number. It's called a nudgy number. And hopefully in telling you that number, I'm, I'm building a bit of trust and, and authority myself. And these were taken from 171 organizations or clients on the Evolitic uh, platform. And once we distilled the top 20, we saw that, in fact, 12 of these organizations were the top performing ones. And this was across preschools, primary schools, high schools, and then tertiary institutions, whether that was universities or colleges or training facilities. But quite interesting to see that 12 of them really made up the top 20 education emails across that full data set. Okay, perfect. And you mentioned that we focused on the top performing emails. Can you explain what we mean by this? We look at the magic of metrics and a big part of how we analyze our communications is to see what linguistic patterns are being used. And one of the things we look at from a behavioral linguistics point of view is what are the language patterns that equate with a successful email send? And, and those two metrics really do come down to open rate and then click through rate. So when we speak about open rate, we're looking at how many people are opening the email as a percentage of the number of people who are actually receiving it. And there are standards here or benchmarks across the various industries we look at. And we also, through Everletic data, we're able to see year on year what are these trends looking like. Uh, are we seeing differences in open rate percentages? And then we look at click-through rates. So it's not enough just to open a communication when it lands in your inbox. That's obviously first prize. We want people to do that. But more than that, we're wanting them to show some additional level of engagement. And that means clicking on some type of link in that communication. Is it a hyperlink? Is it a call to action button? Is it a banner image that then clicks out to the brand or business's uh, website? And so those click-through rates really are also demonstrating how many additional clicks are happening, again, as a percentage of the people who are receiving the communication. And potentially worth also mentioning that if there were fewer than 100 recipients in an email communication, we do tend to exclude those from the data set, uh, just to make it statistically relevant when it comes to our comparisons. Great. And you mentioned benchmarks. How did the open rate compare with the average industry open rate according to Everlytics email marketing benchmarks report? So we love using the benchmarks report, and it's something that we look at on an annual basis across various industries, because it gives us a bit of a sense check to say, all right, well, last year, X percent open rate was happening or X percent click through rate. This year, has that improved? Has it decreased? And what are some of the trends that might be contributing to the changes in percentage rates? And quite interestingly, we saw that the average open rate for emails in this education training industry in 2022 was 33 percent uh, when we look at these benchmarks. This is up from 30% in 2020. And so immediately we are seeing that there is a shift in that more people are engaging with communications. A, more people are receiving them without question. There's more recipients, there's more audience uh, from like a sort of catchment area. But perhaps more significant is that people are engaging more. 
Uh, and certainly when we looked at the top 20 education emails, uh, really outshone this benchmark, we looked at 85.68% as what our open rates were for these best performing communications. And comparing that average of 33, which is already great, to an almost 90% uh, standard, uh, we just see that really when it comes to this particular industry, education, training, people are engaging in digital marketing and uh, direct marketing through email is is really showing itself to be quite impactful. That's a really nice finding. We used behavioral linguistics to analyze the communication patterns that were common across the data. That's quite a mouthful, and perhaps not all our listeners are familiar with these terms. It certainly took me some time to get my head around them. So let's break them down. What is behavioral linguistics? So it's really about decision making. How do we take in information that's presented to us? So this can be language, uh, words on a page, it can be visual, uh, colors and imagery, and all of this cues certain responses from us. Uh, and then through our own data sorting processes that happen cognitively, we sift through these inputs and we choose the important ones that we want to pay attention to and act on. And in fact, the majority of these inputs, we, we discard entirely, we ignore its white noise. It's really important as brands or businesses that when we are communicating with our audience, we are using various language elements that stand out so that, you know, our com isn't the one that's ignored. And we look at the, the behavior of language. So it's a scientific field. You rightfully said behavioral linguistics and it spans across semantics. So the words you're using, your syntax, your grammar structures. For example, are we using present tense, past tense, future tense? So that can play a huge role in, in how people perceive a communication and how they end up behaving or acting as a result of it. Our, our phonetics. So how things look on a page or how they sound when you hear them. And even if this is just your own voice saying the words in your own head as you're reading something, that's that's also important. And then the visual language. So what colors, cue actions, does font choice play any role here? We've spoken previously about handwriting fonts with some of the research we've done with Evolytic and, and pop fonts and how these can grab attention and form more of a connection with your reader. We're looking for what are these uh, these standout moments that make content successful. And then as behavioral communicators, how can we form communication toolkits so that ourselves and the teams we're working with, we can start doing more of the things that work uh, more consistently. And at the same time, you're testing and analyzing these patterns. And, and a platform and software like Evolytic is so crucial here because you're able to do these A-B tests and you're able to, to see shifts in behavior just through changing various things, uh, again, quite cost effectively. Okay. And what do we mean by communication patterns? So we're looking for things that happen often enough that uh, we, we believe that they could play some role in the success of an overall communication. So as an example, word frequencies. What are the common or most popular words that these top 12 brands, as our, our example in this education space, what are they using to make these mailers so successful and, and best performing? We look at the types of imagery used in the banners. Uh, we look at, for example, if pronouns are used, uh, what tense the communication is in. And then we're looking at calls to action. How are these being framed? The nature of it being a call to action, we're looking at verbs. And what verbs are being used to persuade someone to do something? 
And we see we're really moving away from the learn mores, the find out mores, the click here's, that type of uh, very bland call to action. Those aren't as popular anymore with the consumer or the reader. And we saw this in our previous research uh, on travel and tourism trends. People are looking for something that's more experiential. Uh, we're wanting to explore things and uh, have adventures and enjoy and certainly the urgency comes through there as well, where if we feel like we have a limited amount of time uh, in order to act, we're far more likely and we feel far more compelled to act more quickly. And so uh, just some examples in action there, RSVPing for school open days or, or university cocktail parties. Uh, there was always a, a time constraint there. You needed to RSVP now or do it before a day of the week or a date. There was that urgency coming through with limited availability or limited seats. Uh, and I think people are more likely to do something where there is that urgency and that scarcity effect. Okay, wonderful. Can you please explain how we analyze the emails? So you can imagine with 110 million plus emails, there's a lot of data to look at here. And so what we do is through the open rates and click through metric entry level, we distill these down to the top 20 that are the best performing. And then from there, we input every word and every visual element that has been included in those mailers. We run it through some linguistic software programming um, and we sift through word frequencies, collocations. So what a collocation is, is what words occur more commonly with certain words. So we get uh, the most commonly used phrases as an example. We start looking at poetic devices and literary devices, your alliterations, your assonance, uh, any of the, the rhyming techniques that come through here that make language a lot more creative and a lot more fun, which we know drives a bit of a persuasive factor there as well. And we overlay what are called heuristics or mental shortcuts, uh, th these behavioral biases that, again, we know are fairly universal. Things like scarcity, things like our present bias, overconfidence bias. Uh, there's many, many of these. And we look at how these mental shortcuts help us to make decisions and how some of these are encoded through the language that is used. Let's get into the good part the findings. Our analysis revealed key language themes, which very importantly in the education space helped to build trust. Can you explain a little more about which language themes we found and why should our listeners consider using these themes in their own education emails? Super. So there were five main pillars of theme and these were the language of innovation, the language of the future, closely tied to language of discovery, language of urgency, and then language of quality. And to maybe just summarize those quite briefly, innovation, this was very much aligned to the global trend of education innovation. As a prospective parent or a student, you want to know that wherever you're choosing to, to get this training or to get this education, it's going to be cutting edge and it's keeping up with technological advances and there's novelty and there's a fresh approach here. And these are powerful drivers of behavior in and of themselves. And we saw a lot of examples of you know, new websites and uh, references to innovative world and new announcements and academic years and chapters and next steps in your career. And, and certainly this idea that you are joining an institution that is keeping up to date with these advances is something that compelled people to engage. 
closely tied to this is language of the future. So this is looking quite specifically at the role of future-facing language to position the school or the university institution as one that's changing with the challenges of the time and it's future-ready and future-fit, you know, all of those fairly cliched terms. But but they really do help in many ways to to frame the communication as really ready for future success. And I think we are so in tune with the idea of this fourth industrial revolution and AI and machine learning and all the stuff that we're seeing globally as, as, as trends in the education space that we want to know whatever subject we're choosing or whatever institution we're choosing to study at, that it's going to be future oriented and that it's going to be something that's relevant. So we saw a lot of reference to our vision for the coming years and things being future focused. And now is the time to look forward. That that sort of forward looking rhetoric was quite critical here. Moving quickly to language of discovery. Again, it's to that call to action point we mentioned earlier. People are exploring and adventuring. They're starting new chapters in life. And the reader is being cued to their potential. What can they hope to achieve in life by being affiliated with whatever brand or institution is communicating with them? And so there were lots of examples of using words like explore, change the world, embark on your academic journey. And, and this language of discovery was quite compelling. Penultimately, language of urgency. Again, anything to do with action-orientated calls to action or mailers where there is something that you need your reader to do, uh, making sure that this is framed as limited in time or number and there's a sense of urgency. It just means people are more likely to act more quickly to secure it. Uh, and so things like apply now, you know, exclusively open to you, register now, RSVP before the certain date. We saw that that helped to drive engagement. And lastly, language of quality. Education brands want their readers to aspire to attend their institutions and to choose them. And so they're positioning themselves with a lot of adjectives and superlatives, for example, leading, prestigious, world class. And so this language of quality was quite an interesting one uh, because it's one of the first times we've, we've seen this in, in our analyses, but it was conveying that value. And examples here, top 1% of universities in the world, our prestigious campus, one of South Africa's leading universities, uh, world class. You, you're wanting to choose something that's best in breed. And that certainly did come through here, too. I'm sure those language themes are going to really help our listeners. We also used a behavioral tool called the FEAST framework to analyze the emails. Can you explain more about how we went about this and why it's beneficial? The great thing about behavioral linguistics and anything to do with behavioral communication and behavioral marketing is that it is so science-backed. And we use frameworks that have been developed by behavioral economists and behavioral scientists and what are called nudge units around the world. And these nudge units are tasked with with various things, uh, societal challenges and um, brand or business objectives. And there's ways of encoding behavioral science in the ways that we communicate and certainly design products or design services, uh, how we price things as an example. And uh, one of these really great frameworks that we find so intuitive and easy to use and is one that we encourage our clients that we work with is called the FEAST framework. So that's an easy acronym to remember, FEAST, uh, what it stands for, F for fun, E for easy, A for attractive, S for social, and T for timely. And you just need to remember those five words and some of the examples of what we call our 
behavioral box, I guess, when we present these. How can you have language elements in a, in a behavioral toolbox that you can then apply across these, these five principles to help boost engagement and, and behavior? And we see that these behavioral nudges continue to be one of the best ways to improve sales and, uh, you know, sales and air quotes, I guess, in the education space, but it's still a sales environment. You need clients and your clients are students. But we are framing communications in ways that make it easier for the person to make that decision because we're lazy. As consumers, as readers ourselves, we don't want to do heavy lifting. We don't want to read, uh, you know, reams and reams of things. We want brands to get to the point. And we kind of want to be pointed into a direction that hopefully is in our best interests. There's always a bit of a sort of pause moment, I guess, at this point where the ethics of behavioral linguistics are just so critical. And uh, certainly we only get involved with brands who have a consumer's best interests at heart. Uh, and in the education space, that's a very easy one. Getting some sort of training, getting some sort of skills development without question uh, helps you with with a better future. So we're very comfortable to use a lot of these techniques and to encourage clients in the space to to do the same uh, because that close link between language behavior and decision making is just so, so critical. And, you know, crafting content in ways that that pays attention to this, we've seen is is absolutely more likely to persuade people to act. And what were some of the feast findings that stood out for you the most? There were some great ones in this, but rather than read through them all, I think I'll just pick up on the F and the S. So you'll remember F (laughs) for fun and S for social. When it came to fun, we looked a lot at what we called celebration semantics. Uh, We know that people tend to get bored easily. Uh, We lose enjoyment in things quite quickly. Uh, Things tend to be quite mundane and to stand out is quite a novel thing for brands to do here. And what we saw as a key trend across these top mailers was the framing of fun through invitations to join the school or the university for some type of an event. This was also framed differently. So we're not asking you to necessarily buy something from us, but we're inviting you somewhere. And that tended to be in a university setting at some type of cocktail party or an induction. Schools had any open days where they're inviting parents and prospective students to come and have a look at the grounds. And it was always followed with a bit of a snack and a bit of a chat. And this fun element was something that came through uh, quite heavily upweighted to boost a sense of enjoyment. And celebratory language came through here too. So references to recognizing students as an example. So you've been selected as one of prospective candidates and we would like to now invite you to our campus to have a tour. And being proud of the reader, I think this also came through with this, with these celebration semantics uh, that, you know, we're very proud of you and we're looking forward to journeying with you on your future path. You know, that language of exploration and adventure comes through quite strongly here. And where the student or the parent felt proud or the hero, uh, very much an intrinsic type of uh, incentive here, we did find that this tended to drive a lot more engagement than others. And then social. Social identity was a critical one in this education space. And very interesting to us because we haven't, we haven't quite seen this with other research we've done um, across different industries. And in many ways, our schooling background really does contribute to our social identity. So who we are, how we see ourselves, the values we believe that we reflect and the traits we admire in others. A lot of this comes from these moments of schooling and education. And institutions emphasized this, that there was the shared social identity and connection between themselves as the brand and then with the parents and the students. 
So we saw a lot of visually interesting things happening where there was um, university branded what I'd call merch, hoodies and hats, and it's all very much aligned to a school uniform. Um, and I guess it's quite an interesting one in a South African context. Most of these institutions did have a set uniform, whereas if you're looking at overseas environments, that might not be the case. But this really did tie the collective together in that you're already feeling like you're part of a bit of a team. Um, and that that matching branded uh, merchandise uh, really does help here. And then linguistically, we saw this as well, you know, recognizing people and celebrating people for being part of the pack. And this comes back to a very strong behavioral bias that we all we all have, and that's called social proofing, where we do want to feel part of something. So despite thinking we want to be these individual people living individual lives, we do want to come back to feeling that we're part of a community. And where a school did upweight that feeling of being this community and almost like a, a lots of family language as well. And this did come through with the pronouns. So we, us, our, that intimacy uh, you immediately feel like, oh, these are my people. This is my tribe. And and that's very compelling from an engagement point of view. Brilliant. If you could give a marketer in the education space just three tips for sending their next email, what advice would you give them? We haven't really touched on the time of day and the day of week and the month of the year elements here. And that, that comes down to the T in that feast framework, timely. Sometimes it's it's just as important, possibly even more important, to craft an email knowing when you're going to send it, when it's going to land in someone's inbox, as much as what the actual message ends up being. And so from this data set, we saw that mid-afternoon sends on Tuesdays and Thursdays were engaged with the most. And July and September came out on top when we when we looked at months, followed by February. So this engagement is interesting to look at in the space. We looked at uh, institutions across public and private sector. So there's different school holidays depending on which brand we're sending it out. So we can't be too specific about, from a month point of view, when you should be sending out communications. It is very seasonal and does tend to correlate with, you know, school university holidays, upcoming exam dates. But the advice would be to really test that Tuesday and Thursday mid-afternoon send and, and see if that works out for the brand. I always kind of laugh at this point because the more we tell people to do this, the more they do it. And then the less likely it is it works because <laughs> if every single brand ends up communicating with you on the day we recommend at the time we recommend, you know, your inbox is bombarded. So, <laughs> so this really is a bit of a trial and error process, but certainly what we saw from this and what we would recommend starting out with as a bit, a bit of a baseline is that Tuesday and Thursday send. And then language of quality. We mentioned it upfront as one of those top themes. We do think this is one of the lowest hanging fruit elements from a linguistic point of view to elevate your brand by speaking of ranking or of being based in breed or a school of choice and adjectives here are your friend. I've mentioned leading, world-class, prestigious to convey this value. But there's a lot of other ways that this can be framed. Uh, we like to mention dynamic norms at this point. So certainly if you are the biggest or the best or the most favorite, those are great things to say, but you've got to be ethical here. If you're not the biggest, the best or the most favorite, you can't say that. Uh, but what dynamic norms help us with is a bit of a bandwagon effect. 
where maybe you're growing in popularity. Maybe you are a challenger brand or maybe you are a new institutional school and slowly but surely you're increasing the number of pupils or students or your intake is increasing. And then to be able to say, well, three years ago when we launched, we were at X percent market share. Last year we had increased to Y percent and this year we're excited to be at Z percent. The, that upward trend, that trajectory is something that people respond to. And so dynamic norms is quite, quite exciting to use there where you can't call yourself the best or the biggest. And then language of innovation. You want to know that you are joining a future focused institutional school. That the, the curriculum that you're going to be exposed to, the teaching methods, the approaches are going to be something that a future version of our world an AI version of our world is, it's going to be relevant. And it's very interesting to see some of the global trends uh, kind of returning to almost humanities based subjects because there's ideas of robots taking over all the mathematical calculations and the various engineering tasks. Sorry, any engineers listening into this podcast, <laughs> you are not redundant just yet. Um, but the creative sciences is something that we're seeing globally is, is on the rise, but it's to figure out how you can marry the two worlds. And really the education institutions, which are referring to digital technology, the keeping up with the changes, a modern approach to learning and teaching, hybrid as an example, uh, certainly with the sort of uh, tertiary space where students are able to do some stuff in class, some from home. Uh, that really is, is coming across as a lot more desirable to students and their parents. Okay, and as I've mentioned, this is the fourth marketing report we've partnered on with you. The others include retail, financial services, and earlier this year, travel and tourism. Did any of the behavioral insights in the education marketing report surprise you compared with the past three reports? Look, the average open rate really just blew us away. For it to have increased by 17% between 2020 and 2022, just from a benchmarking point of view, and then to see that our top 20 education mailers are hitting nearly 90% open rates, that was unusual for us. I guess it does make sense. You've got quite a captive audience. We really just saw that across the various topics, across the calls to action, these mailers greatly outshone uh, benchmarks across the other industries. And maybe it does come back to the themes of hybrid learning, digital trends here, that you're more and more online, education is moving a bit more to a digital online space. And so by the very nature of that, you've potentially got your laptop or your phone or your tablets. I mean, even even primary school children are now engaging with technology. And so maybe there is the sense that as we are moving more into this digital realm, People are more open to direct marketing through the email channel. We also saw no one is unsubscribing from these emails. And that's also key. When we look at the Evolitic Benchmarks report, we saw that it showed the highest drop in unsubscribes since 2020, a reduction of 59% when it comes to unsubscribe rates. And uh, interestingly, this was at an all-time high in 2020. So something's happened in the past couple of years that we're now at an all-time low. And so this volatility maybe suggests that either education institutions have changed how they use email to communicate or that the learners and parents themselves are responding differently uh, due to the shifts potentially in the learning space. Perhaps to end off on, visual language is, is always something that we're quite interested in as well. And here we, we're talking about the psychology behind colors, behind images and visuals and, and even fonts. 
And what we saw coming through with these best performing mailers was an array of options, uh, mainly focused on students themselves. And of course, within a South African context, we need to be showing diversity. We need to be showing all the demographic groups uh, across genders, across cultures. So 45% of the emails showed some type of student interaction or, or student engagement. We then also saw education buildings, the, the actual facilities. Uh, we thought this was quite important as well. There's a lot of tradition and hierarchy when it comes to maybe some of the big universities. And so seeing their great halls or the big steps leading up to the halls or the registrar's office, those are quite symbolic and there's some prestige in that. In addition to seeing some of the, the schools or the primary schools playing facilities, just showing the behind the scenes to students and parents. And uh, then we saw text on colored backgrounds. So, so this would be some sort of call out, whether it was an invitation, whether it was some type of event happening or school message, moving into teachers, faculty members themselves. There's a bit of messenger effect here where you're actually seeing the, the real people. Uh, and then moving into fairly traditional spaces of stationery and books um, and that type of that type of visual that cues a learning environment. It just makes us think this is a place of learning. This is a place of instruction. And certainly imagery being a powerful tool for capturing attention and evoking uh, emotion really does then to help build that trust. And, and we've said throughout that trust is just so critical in, in, in most industries, to be honest. I mean, you, if you trust something, you choose it. And we certainly saw that within this education space. This has been so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing all these insights with us, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, we'll leave a link to our new education marketing report in our show notes, or you can download it by visiting evolytic.com. Simply go to the resources section and click marketing guides. Here you'll also find the three other reports in this series, and all of them are free to download. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to listen to our other podcast episodes with Lee as she shares even more nitty gritty tips for how you can boost your email engagement. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. 